The Start On Demand. On demand. We talked Monday about how the Southwest Rapid Transit Corridor is now up and running and at high frequency and wondered aloud if it should be running at a lower frequency. But what would a lower frequency mean for cuts and layoffs for Winnipeg Transit? We'll speak to Transit's union on the subject of those possible cuts and they ask the question, where's the love? We'll learn about the challenge to understand physical distancing and this new normal when living with an intellectual disability. We'll speak to the Winnipeg School Division about the fact that students are returning to school to pick up their stuff. And what's the best nickname you've ever had? Or maybe the worst nickname you've ever had? Because for Breakfast with the Bombers, we talked to Ed Tate about some of the best bomber nicknames over the years. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, April 14th podcast for The Start. Can't wait to talk about some of the best nicknames in Blue Bomber franchise history. Uh, some of the names are absolutely incredible. And of course, uh, the Turtle Man is, uh, is Milt Stiekel. We'll tell you why he has that nickname. Not now, but at 737. Well, I guess I'll go first then because I, I did hook that. I had a nickname in grade seven at a coal regent park that was bestowed upon me by one of my, I believe the classmate's name was Kizzy Barrett. And she decided to <laughs> call me Krang. Do you remember Krang from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Here's a <laughs> was clip. Was he the bad guy? Blasted Krang. When will we be able to return to the surface? We are very low on power, and we need to replace a number of vital electronic components. Also, the protein silicon brain of the main computer has an owie. Thanks to your bumbling incompetence. So Krang was this like little brain-looking blob guy, <laughs> and he was super smart, and I guess because I was among the... the I, I wouldn't say smartest, but I had some of the highest marks in class. She said, you know, called me a brain and then said, yo, I'm going to call you Krang because you're a giant brain. So I kind of like that, but I'll, I, I don't think they meant it nicely. So, yeah. Uh, McNabb, what was your nickname? Well, come on. It all had to do with the hair. So I'm a redhead. So red, rooster, la rouge, la rougerino. <laughs> uh, when I got braces, there was armored carrot that was quickly oh, chucked at me. Um, yeah, that was just a, that was a very short lived period. You know, like there's kids are gonna be mean for like two weeks when you get your braces. And then nowadays, nobody even cares anymore about my hope because goodness, everybody has them. But yes, everything to do with my hair and red has stuck around. For most of my family, I'm thankful Rooster did not. And uh, I haven't really hated too many of them. I'm really fond of Armored Carrot. That's creative. And you know who come, you know who's creative with his nicknames is Kelly Moore, who I think ha- probably has a nickname for every person he's ever met. Uh, Kelly, what's the, you, the nickname that you had for yourself that you may have liked or perhaps disliked? Well, I don't remember many nicknames as a kid growing up, you know, other than the usual Moorsy and that sort of thing. But uh, I was working in Kamloops, and I don't remember exactly when it happened, but uh, my boss started calling me Kelbob. Uh, he would he would do the morning show and he would introduce me as Calvin Robert Moore or something like that. I don't know where he came up with it because my middle name is Owen. But anyway, uh, so... For years, I was known as Kel Bob, but uh, I've always, as you guys know, I love dishing out nicknames. And uh, Brett, I think uh, when you first started at, at CJOB and you began uh, as the all night operator, I would come in in the morning to do sports and I started calling you the Hitman. And uh, that, that's kind of stuck over the years, at least between you and I. Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you called me that like the, the moment we met. I said, yes. Hi, I'm Brett. And you said, Brett, like Brett the Hitman Hart? And exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I was thrilled with that when Charles Adler started calling me Magoo. I guess cause, just because it sounded like my name, McGarry, Brett Magoo McGarry. I, I <laughs> kind of talked him off the ledge on that one. I said, Charles, I don't really like that. So uh, uh, maybe <laughs> call let's me go. Hitman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I told him to call me with a nickname I already had around the office. Jeff Braun, what about you? 
Uh, Kelly used to call me the Bronster Mash, which is... <laughs> Thankfully, that only lasted a few years. Um, the one I picked up is, obviously, everyone at work calls me Bronner, and I just, I hate it. I can't even express how much I dislike being called Bronner, but that ship has sailed, and there's no way to end it now. Uh, my friends all call me JB, only because there's two Jeffs in our little group, so... The other guy goes by his last name, and I just get JB. That's that's about that's the only nickname I've really had that is really stuck. Is it just me? Or is it like Jeff? Because when I was in elementary school, uh, there was another Jeff in there, spelled G E O, and uh, to separate us, our grade six teacher would call him Geo, and me Jeff. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Oh, not Jeffo. No, no. <laughs> we had a we had a G E O F F uh, Jeff in our class, and and everybody called him Gof. So, <laughs> I don't think he liked that too much. Uh, G-Mac, what about you? I mean, we know you as G-Mac or Big Mac. Yeah, Big Mac. Fred Roy gave that nickname to me back at Isaac Brock Community Center. That must have been about 1977, 78. So that stuck with me for a long, long time or just shortened to Mac. I've got Mackerel. I've got uh, Gregorio and... Uh, I uh, yeah, G Mac though has stuck over the last decade once again because of Kelly Moore and Charles Adler uh, picked up on that, and so I wear the moniker uh, very very proudly. So thank you, Kelly. I appreciate uh, the nickname, the the latest evolution of said nickname. So, Forte, uh, it's a good one. What about you, Forte? Um, well, growing up, I always got like Little Jeff, LJ. <laughs> Little Forche, like my older, my I had an older brother, so all his friends would call me Little Forche because they would call him Forche. So maybe you could turn that into a rapper name, like Lil Feezy or something. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. And hey, McNabb, I know you love it when I when I circle it back to Taco Bell, just like you circle everything back to Minnedosa. Uh, consistency is key. Or Chi-Chi's for Greg. When I worked at Taco Bell, I walked in one day, and I always worked front cash, so I walked in. One of the guys says, "Hey, cash man." Uh, so some of <laughs> My friends still call me Cashman B. I even had a, a tag, my name tag said Cashman Brett. I so. think it's more funny when they're not original. Like, that's the best they can come up. He works the till. He's a man. Uh. All right, we're going to go with Cashman. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, guys? The, the big thing about nicknames, I think at least it... It, it brings you together as a group. It, it To me, it's always been, if you get called a nickname, then that's pretty cool. That means you are someone that's part of the gang. Kelly How do you Moore. feel about Morzarilla, then? I, don't, I, like it, I, I like it about as much as you're singing, McNabb. Oh. <laughs> Which is to say, a lot. <laughs> We talked briefly yesterday about the challenges we are hearing from some of you when it comes to standing in line, waiting to get into a grocery store or pharmacy when you're a senior or someone with a physical disability. There, of course, can be challenges with mobility. There might be pain with simply having the strength to wait for 20 or 30 minutes or even longer. We know some of those lines, Brett, I think you had pictures yesterday where they snaked around the block and down the street for some of those stores. So we know the waits are extensive for everyone. But when you have a mobility issue, it can be even worse. And then after reaching out to our next guest, we learned of another struggle that perhaps many of us haven't even considered at all. And that's the struggle to even understand the concept of socially distancing in these lines and waiting to get into stores when you're someone living with an intellectual disability. And guys, I have a, a good friend uh, of mine who has a son who is uh, ADHD, he's uh, non he has all sorts of, of things that he deals with, and one of the things he loves to do is touch your hands and to get into your pockets. Carlos Sosa is a disability advocate, he joins us now, and Carlos, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in line with, with my good friend uh, and, and his son, who is also my good friend at this point in time, you, you've been there in this position, standing in line, working with someone with an intellectual disability, trying to make sure that they keep that distance. There are definite challenges there, aren't there? Yeah, there certainly are challenges. And for the people that I work with, um, it, it's difficult, I mean, to not understand what the spacing requirements are. And uh, when you have an intellectual disability, reality can be very difficult to understand. It, it's very difficult. So what can we do, uh, as someone from the outside, to help? 
I think uh, that what we could do, uh, and I think that many organizations uh, have been working on this, but I, I'll reinforce the uh, the notion of plain language that we use, that organizations make a clear effort in communicating their instructions in plain language to say this is actually how far you need to be. Um, and for many of my support individuals, they've also been anxious. I mean, uh, this is a, a really difficult situation for them to adjust to. What does that look like for you? You mentioned to me yesterday, Carlos, that you've been in line at a store with someone who lives with an intellectual disability. And I'm curious to know what kind of conversations you've had to have with folks just trying to explain what we're doing. You know, I I think of even just um, the average adult struggles sometimes to follow the rules. And I think it can be confusing. I, I wonder what those conversations have looked like with your friends and colleagues that you work with. Um, with with the supported individuals that I work with, it's been rather tense sometimes. I've had to say, you know, what, you, uh, you these are the rules here. Uh, you have to you have to follow them. And sometimes um, uh, they get very anxious and react very angrily that they have to comply with with different rules. And for many of my individuals that live independently in the community, they've been used to control for uh, the majority of their lives. And so this is, in their their version or, or eyes, control. Carlos, uh, you mentioned that in independent living, and that's obviously a goal for so many people who two or three decades ago might not have that opportunity for independent living. And once you get used to that, it's difficult to give it up. I think we're all experiencing that right now, that whole idea that, that something else is in control. Tell us how it's different for someone uh, with an intellectual disability, potentially. And, and for one of my individuals over this last week, uh, or last couple of weeks, um, his isolation has worsened. And this, this was somebody who was used to going to a day program, which has been canceled. Uh, utilizing the library in a swimming pool, so so you take all those options away, and that and your life has become more isolated. So if and you lack connection because you lack access to technology because you simply don't have the money to afford the internet or a computer to access uh, uh, Facebook or FaceTime to connect with friends. So if I'm at the grocery store and I encounter somebody with an intellectual disability who gets a little uh, too close for for my comfort, uh, you know, a lot of people are under stress and they're uh, feeling anxiety. There might be an inclination to panic in reaction. So how can I avoid that kind of a reaction? What should I do in that particular moment? I mean, my my answer is not to to panic, but to treat the person with respect and to, to treat them like you know, uh, you would you would like uh, any other person to say, okay, you're getting too close here. Can you move back a little bit? You mentioned, and we just have about a minute left here, Carlos. You mentioned the idea that you know stores could be making sure they're using plain language. The rest of us can just approach it like we would anyone else and try to explain what we feel the rules for social distancing can be. But I know there there, there might be more that could still be done. Some stores have offered that hour in the morning for seniors or others to come in so that there's more uh, quicker access and they don't have to wait as long as line. But these hours don't always align from store to store or store to bank or what have you. So is there anything else that can be done as we have these few more weeks, hopefully, or months left of this kind of uh, social distancing going on? Um, In terms of what I think that could be done, I think that stores need to be a little bit more accommodating in terms of uh, the priority that they give to marginalized people, realizing that banks uh, open later and have reduced hours. So it's absolutely critical that uh, we, we think about ways in which we can uh, prioritize our most vulnerable people uh, when, when they come to accessing these services, and, and, and obviously grocery stores is one of them. Carlos Sosa is a disability advocate joining us live on 680 CJOB. Carlos, thank you for bringing us some insight on this topic. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, lots of serious stuff to discuss this morning, but as always, we're trying to inject some levity into the conversation because we could all use some these days, and we're talking nicknames today because after Global News at 7.30, Breakfast with the Bombers, we're talking Blue Bomber nicknames, and we got a text message at 204-780-6868, lots of text messages. Here's one from Jason who says, my, uh, my embarrassing nickname in school was Gas Machine. Oh. I'll leave it to your imagination. <laughs> oh, boy. Poor guy. <laughs> oh, that's that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Don's is a little more subtle, I would say. Don said when I was in the Navy in the early 80s, as today, I could snore the shingles off a house. The berthing areas on a ship are four wide, stacked three high. I earned the nickname of Diesel. Wow. <laughs> and McNabb, there was someone who, who, uh, who texted here that I think you you made a personal connection, did you not? Yes, well, they were. They have the same name as my mom. Uh, came in from listener Elaine, and she said in school she was smart, so she was called Lane Brain. <laughs> which I don't know. It's is a it would be a compliment, but back at that age, no one's complimenting you for that. Unfortunately, better than Lane Brain. Lane well, Brain's good. Yeah, I think I guess it's a play on Lane Brain. Uh, yeah, kids are like some. I, kids would often call me like Brett Pet because it was the only thing they could think of that rhymed, and I would just I remember always looking at them thinking that's that doesn't hurt because that's just stupid. Yeah. Um, we had another text here from Nathan who says, "For one of my birthdays as a kid, I a uh, friend bought me a lime green rain suit. Yes, the pants and hoodie. I wore it every chance I got, which earned me the nickname Lettuce Leaf." My father still calls me that from time to time, and I'm almost in my 40s. So, uh, yeah, he says he doesn't. He adds, though, he doesn't wear the suit anymore. Oh, we got a good one here, too. Sorry, I just want to read this one from uh, Monica, who texts that she was born 10 years after her three brothers. And on the police show Beretta, there was a parrot named Fred, which didn't stop Mm -hmm. talking. Well, as a chatty little girl, she writes, that's what the boys nicknamed me. Hated it then, but every time I hear the name Fred now, I smile. If you're listening, love you, brothers. That's from Monica. <laughs> love it. Cute. I love it. Uh, uh, Brett, I think I've referred to St. James around you as the Jimmy in the past. I think so, yeah. And that comes from a cab, from cab drivers back in the day. I can remember being a cab one night and them saying, yeah, I'm clearing the Jimmy. I'm like, the Jimmy, St. James. I love that. Lynn texted in to say back in the 80s, cab drivers used the nicknames to identify the hospitals tying back to our uh, last hour. The Bonnie was St. B. The General was HSC. The Vic was Vic General. That's from Lynn here in Winnipeg. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, there will be thousands of Manitobans over the next few months making major changes to how they pay their bills. For governments, that means fewer dollars will be coming in at the city level. There is now minimal revenue from parking, from tickets, from transit. We were telling you yesterday how ridership is down as much as 90% on Winnipeg Transit. And yet the blue line that just opened Sunday is running full on that's the new express line from the southwest rapid cor- uh pardon me transit rapid corridor i'll get it right uh southwest rapid transit corridor it's operating at high frequency uh three to five minutes in between buses and that's prompted the finance chair scott gillingham to say change is needed and not just at transit the possibility of staff layoffs across the city within specific departments has already been talked about and it's being it's being discussed um, we brought that uh, forward in a report that came to council on April 3rd. We did say in that report we're contemplating several different levers that may need to be pulled uh, or measures that may need to, to be enacted to get us through this difficult financial time. One of those measures is looking at the possibility of staff layoffs in certain departments. So they're talking about service changes potentially to transit, transit layoffs in other departments. John Callahan is the international VP of the Amalgamated Transit Union and joins us now. Good morning, John. Good morning. We wanted to just get right to this. Uh, you're, you represent a union. There's hundreds of transit union employees. What, what's in it in the contract that could potentially prevent layoffs from happening within transit? Or is there anything that could prevent them in this unprecedented time? Yeah, um, I, I really don't know at this point. I mean, we would have to review that. But uh, more importantly, uh, you know, we have to look at, at the big picture here. And what's really disheartening uh, 
is is disheartening and I think reckless with some of the comments that Councillor Gillingham made. Yeah, transit numbers are down, uh, but if you do the math, normally there's 170,000 riders a day. Even if it's down anywhere from 70 to 90 percent, that's still 33 to 51,000 riders a day. And those aren't people who are out there joyriding. Those are frontline people, frontline workers who are using that service to get to work. As a matter of fact, uh, the community that I live in, I live in the core, so a lot of people are very dependent on transit. I had several calls last night from people who use transit, who are using it currently to get to work, and they're concerned about uh, possible transit cuts. Now, it's affecting everyone across the country. My whole territory is the West, so I'm in contact with all the Western locals every day, and there's been no layoffs across Western Canada, and, and I'm, I'm sure it's the same in the East as well. What a lot of transit or a lot of properties have done is they've enhanced service. Now, I know there was some discussion yesterday about frequency, how it's not needed at this time. Actually, it's the opposite. It is very much needed. What frequency does, it allows for pass-ups so that, you know, if you get too many people on the bus, you can pass up or people can can wait for the next bus knowing that they're not going to have to wait for an extended period of time. Now, we might not need the frequency right now on that blue line. I don't know. I wasn't out there counting passengers, and I'm sure that Councillor Gillingham wasn't out there yesterday counting passengers either. But the reality is there are still people that depend on that service. And these are frontline people. And where's the love? We love them as long as it's not costing us. Come on. This is a this is a, an essential service right now. We have to look at the big picture. John, the whole idea, and we've just got about 30 seconds here, about uh, being on a bus and being safe and, and keeping that distance, that would also uh, require more buses per person or fewer people on each bus, fair to say? Absolutely. And, and that's what's happening, uh, uh, Saskatoon, as an example. Um, they limited to 10 passengers on a bus. As soon as they hit 10, they, they sign the bus out of service. They call the control center. They have buses uh, stationary in the downtown area that will then go be dispatched out to, to pick up any passengers that are still in need of a ride. In Lethbridge, what they're doing is completely on demand, uh, where if you need a bus, if you need to get to the grocery store, uh, you call in, they give you an access number, uh, and you give that access number and you get on the bus. Otherwise, you're not getting on the bus. Like, they don't want the services for frontline and, and uh, emergent need, people who need to get to the grocery store, need to get to work. Uh, and, 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 you know, this is what other communities are doing. They're not looking at saving money. They're looking at how we can provide the best possible service in these times to to our riding public. We also have, uh, you know, the issues um uh, you know, the safety, and you talk about the social distancing, that has been a, a huge problem. We've had 18 of our members uh, perish uh, from COVID-19, and we've got hundreds and hundreds more who have been infected uh, because of the lack of social distancing, overcrowded buses. So it's very, very important uh, to maintain the service to, uh, you know, to make sure that we're not getting overcrowded buses. John Callahan is the International VP of the Amalgamated Transit Union, joining us live on 680 CJOB. John, thank you for this. You're welcome. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb want to say good morning to Wayne, a.k.a. The Pain Train. That's his nickname that he goes by. We're getting texts at 204-780-6868 on your nicknames. Turn that music off a little bit, Fortier. I can't hear it. That sounds like it's got a, there we go, some adrenaline on your Tuesday morning. And uh, email I got here to Brett at CJOB.com from Judy, who says, I didn't have a nickname when I was little, so my sister proudly named me Meadow Muffin. And I was so proud, but I had no clue what it actually meant. And when I was around people, I would proudly introduce myself and let them know they could call me Meadow Muffin. And then my sister would laugh at me and finally pulled me aside and told me what it actually meant. It represents cow pie. Oh, it does? (laughs) Apparently. A Meadow Muffin. That's a lovely way of saying cow pie. I mean, I know that that's hurtful. That's probably not what she's going for, but... Yeah. It's not the worst. It's kind of a you know a colorful way to describe it. Uh, something that's otherwise unpleasant, you know. Sort of along the same lines as uh, prairie oysters. 
I actually need to look up what a prairie oyster is. Is that something look you can talk about on the air? Uh, it has to do. It's a certain part of a bison. Oh, okay. Okay, we'll yeah. just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, so we're talking nicknames this morning, Greg, because why? Well, why not? Why wouldn't we? Okay, we'll just leave it there then. <laughs> Isn't there a better segue here? It's like, there's a reason, is there not? Of course there's a reason. Uh, the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers doing such a great job of keeping us entertained over uh, this hiatus, this pause period, and... Um, First of all, I have to say I watched finally the Blue Bombers win the Grey Cup on TV for the first time since November 24th. And uh, they won on Sunday, which was great. And the Bombers won uh, their first Grey Cup in 22 years in 1984. And they had a a book written that year. And uh, there's a book coming out to celebrate this year's Grey Cup championship. But the Bombers also, Ed Tate raining down on us, Loren, the best nicknames in Blue Bomber history. Oh, and before we we do anything else, why don't we, I think I know what was missing. Forte is looking at me like, are you going to give me the cue? So Forte, fire it up. There we go. (laughs) Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. So Greg, you watched the Great Cup on TV. It looked spectacular. And, uh, and then leading into that book on the incredible season. And Loren, as we all know by now, the Blue Bombers snapped what? What did they snap? A 29-year Grey Cup drought last November 24th. So we have this book we want to talk about with Ed Tate that's commemorating the achievement. And then we'll get into the nicknames later. Ed Tate, a long roundabout way to bring you on to our show. But welcome to our Breakfast with the Bombers segment. Yes, thank you. I can tell you right now, too, I can confirm I was never called Metal Muffin growing up. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear what you were called, Ed. But first, let's talk about this coffee table book about last season's mm-hmm. Grey Cup one. It looks spectacular. Yeah, it was uh, It was quite a big project. Initially, we were uh, supposed to combine with Post Media. That was the, the uh, idea last fall to put something out. But at that time, the idea was to to get something published before Christmas, and it just wasn't doable. So we ended up uh, putting together the book ourselves. It looks really good. I finally got my copy yesterday. I'm really proud of the work that Rianne Marcoux, our editor, did, and Carrie uh, Bernson, our graphic designer. The photography is spectacular. It's got an intro from Bob Irving, uh, a column by Drew Wolitarski, and I think it's a nice keepsake for a pretty special year for the Bombers. Yeah, these to- sorts of things are uh, obviously special memories for for fans, for players, for people who cover the team, Ed. And so to have this uh, commemorated this way is absolutely spectacular. Now, you've been doing some great writing. And in fact, your writing and this compilation that you created with regard to the top nicknames in Blue Bomber history is the reason we're discussing nicknames this morning and some incredibly unique nicknames on this list. What is your favorite? I know which one you rank number one. Is that also your favorite or is there another one that jumps out for you? I ranked uh, Charles Roberts' nickname of Blink as number one, but the one that does jump out to me, uh, Greg, is um, the Selkirk Milkman, Cease Looning. It's a, it's just kind of funny because it's it's got that... Uh, Manitoba feel to it, but it's the story behind it too. Uh, it's a player who played the, with the Bombers in the in the fifties and sixties. He's in the Hall of Fame, and he helped run the family dairy farm in Selkirk. And so I don't know. It, there's nothing, you know, it doesn't roll off the tongue or anything. But uh, the Selkirk Milkman jumped out for me as one of my favorites. And there are some guys on the list here too who have multiple nicknames: Bud Korchak, the Ukrainian Gazelle, and the Golden Toe. Yeah. But then at number eight, you've got Fritz Hansen, who has not one, not two, but three, but four nicknames. Yeah, he, you know, look, he, I've been covering this team a long time, but not long enough to say that I covered Fritz Hansen in the '30s and early '40s. But he must have been pretty special to have that many nicknames: Twinkle Toes, the Perm Flash, which is where he was from in Minnesota, the Golden Ghost. And the Dipsy Doodle Dandy kind of has that alliteration factor to it. So one of the legends, the first legend in Bomber history, uh, sure piled up the nicknames. 
What is it about the nickname you think? Like, you know, we were talking this morning about the names we've been given over the years, Ed. And sometimes it comes, it's a play on words. Sometimes it's about who you are. My, for me, it was my hair color, right? Red. But for athletes, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, it's the things that they're doing on the field. And the nicknames actually really mean something to the fans and to the players. You know, it's almost like an alter ego or something, and it, it's another way to identify them other than just the, the number and the name on their back, I think, Loren. And it's, uh, you know, a, a lot of people think of uh, Milt Stiegel as Turtle Man or Charles Roberts as Blink. You know, I know a lot of Chris Walby's teammates called him Bluto. So it, it's, uh, I don't know, I, I think there's a romantic part of it too. The sports writers back in the day like to assign nicknames to, to athletes and it's just grown from there over the years. It's some, something that's not really died out. It's still, uh, still prevalent today. I know, as I mentioned in this, in the story, you walk into the bombers dressing room and instead of it saying Richardson above Steve Richardson's Nick, uh, locker, it just says stove, which is his nickname. Um, the guys are still, still love to nickname each other and, and, and sports writers are still prone to do it too. Yeah, well, my favorite is the Lincoln locomotive, Leo Lewis uh, from Lincoln, mm-hmm. Nebraska. Uh, one of the greatest players in CFL history. He was a special guy. We promised to tell people why Milt Stiegel is indeed called the Turtle Man. Turtle Man. If we can't find out why he uses the hashtag paper plates on Twitter, we can at least know the origins of his nickname, Ed. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was Milt that nicknamed himself because he was prone to do that kind of stuff, but uh, he used to brag that his uh, abs looked like the back of a, a turtle shell. So that's how he became the turtle man. Modesty is uh, Milt's yes. middle name, I think. Hey, we want, also wanted to mention uh, Drew Wolitarski, one of our favorite guests from the Bombers. He's such a talented guy. We knew he was a performer, plays guitar. But now I see, have you tasked him with writing for BlueBombers.com? Yeah, I, I make no secret. He's one of my favorite guys on the team, but because of all the different things he does, he's he's a kind of guy that you like to have conversations with that aren't about football. He wrote something for us last year about winning the Great Cup that we we were so impressed with. We ended up putting it in the book, and I've been texting him during the the pandemic here and just to see how he's doing. And uh, it has kind of evolved that way. And yes, he is writing for us now. It's called Thursdays with Wally. And so it's posted obviously every Thursday on our website. The first one was about home. It's really nothing to do with football, but uh, it's just another vehicle for him to express his uh, artistic flair. Ed, uh, one of the highlights this month has been on social media and the player Instagram takeovers. Uh, obviously, there were some technical difficulties preventing Chris Strevler from taking over the Blue Bombers Instagram, but his own Instagram party was absolutely lit. And Willie Jefferson took things over last week. Who have you got coming up on Friday? Yeah, Zach Caleros is coming up on Friday. We've had uh, also Mike O'Shea and Kyle Walters. So it's been a, a real cool way for fans to interact with with players and coaches and general managers and you're right the Chris Trevor one was lit because it was on his own Instagram account and I think people were telling me it lasted over four hours long I, I was I watched it for about a half an hour but I didn't have that long of an attention span to, to take him the whole four hours it was almost six hours it was almost six hours. I went back, I think, after 5.30, and he was still going, and he kept saying, dude, I've been on for like five hours. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> he set the bar now. Are anyone worried they have to follow with that, or they're all good with doing their shortened versions of this? I, I think now that the team has probably taken control of these Instagram chats a little bit so that they're not going to go that long. That's, that's asking a little bit much of anybody that follows him. Well, Ed Tate, Director of Digital Content for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, thank you as always for joining us, sir. We enjoy the time. Appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me on, guys. Have a good day. If you want to read Ed's column on nicknames, we have linked that to our 680 CJOB Instagram story where we are also asking you the question, what was the best nickname you ever had or the worst nickname you ever had? And you can also text us at 204-780-6868. He's in his top 10 here, Greg. He doesn't have James Wild West. I know, and uh, that's one of the most legendary uh, nicknames. And if you read the column, you'll know that it was actually a call from James West that 
instigated this entire column. Uh, James West, uh, one of the great linebackers in Winnipeg Blue Bomber history. I saw him at the Grey Cup. And the guy, you know, the, the hallmark of a great athlete is when he's in his 50s or 60s, you look at him and you go, hey, man, you could still play. You look like you could still play. James West still looks like he could play. Wow. So yeah. if you want to read that article, go to our Instagram and you can read more about Blue Bomber nicknames, the legendary Blue Bomber nicknames over the years. Phones are open at 204 $50 gift card for Skip the Dishes. Call us now for your chance to win and feed yourself something delicious. McNabb, what are we doing in our next segment? As so many of our segments do, Brett and Greg, from questions from listeners and viewers at Global TV, CGOB listeners, and one has to do with the fact that some students in the Winnipeg School Division are being invited back to school to clean out their lockers. And so that's raised questions about how that's going to go, how that cleanout will work, and how will they abide by the guidelines set out by public health to keep crowds limited and people socially distanced and all the rest. So Winnipeg School Division will join us just after 8.45 to walk us through what is usually a spring ritual, that cleanout, but this one won't be typical. Question of the day at CJOB.com, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Yesterday afternoon's question compared Compared to your pre-pandemic habits, how has your level of alcohol consumption been affected by self-isolation? 66% say stayed the same, 18% say decreased, 16% say e- increased. You can also vote on Twitter. We just threw the poll up on Twitter as well, asking the question, are you drinking more alcohol during self-isolation? You can cast your vote there as well, at 680CJOB on Twitter. Lines are jammed at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win a 50 gift card for skip the dishes mackling by the way when's the last time you ordered takeout it's been a couple of weeks already uh ordered from ray's bistro out our end of town i was going to do the santa lucia thing and uh yeah we've just been cooking at home man i've been i've been dying to have something uh different but uh, jackie is spoiling us with uh, some really good meals at home so what can i say all right. Well, here's the question for today. And it has to, I mean, it's timely given, you know, we're all focused and worried about germs. 3,000 types of germs can be found on this item. What is it? Marie. Hi, Hi there. Hi, Marie. Do you know what the answer is? I'm going to say your uh, phone, your iPhone, telephone. Oh, my God. Uh, that's not the answer, but uh, I'm as I look at my phone, it's sitting right next to a canister of Lysol wipes, so I know what I'm going to be doing <laughs> momentarily. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder, Marie. Appreciate that. CJ has been trying to win for a while now. CJ, do you know what it is? I, I'd say my alcohol consumption has gone up. Oh, well, first, I appreciate <laughs> I like the honesty. We appreciate the honesty. That was the question this morning, right? (laughs) The question is 3,000 types of germs can be found on this item. What is it? I'm going to go with the kitchen sink. That is not the answer, but I'm sure that is true as well. Hey, CJ, good luck. Keep keep trying, buddy. We got more gift cards to give away through the week. Sylvia, do you know what it is? Computer. Computer. Uh, no, that's not the answer, but that's a good guess too, especially if you work in an office, you know, shared computers, shared equipment and the like. Uh, let's try Bonita. Hello, Bonita. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Hi there. Do you know the answer? I'm going to guess, um, the remote control. The remote control, not the answer, but also a very good guess. Uh, I mean, how many times have we lost the remote uh, McNabb between the couch cushions, which might have popcorn kernels, or in your case, seven bags of potato chip crumbs? Mm-hmm. All of the above. Did you did your uh, seven bags of chips last you through the weekend? Oh, sorry. Um, yes, there are some left. Oh, they, it, we, weirdly, <laughs> what does that though, mean? Well, I don't know why this happens, but like different bags get opened, and then you end up with a bunch of. <laughs> you know, half eaten bags. And some of them are the uh-huh. same kind. Like I think there's the exact same kind of nacho chip up there that has two open bags, which <laughs> defies logic. Like maybe one's mine and one's the kids and we're each hiding and hoarding differently. I don't know. Arlene, do you know what it is? 3,000 types of germs can be found on this item. What is it? Good morning. Is it on uh, dollar bills? 
Dollar, dollar bills. Yes. Yeah, woo, right on. I heard that and I was like in a maze. I can't believe it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. wow. Dollar bills. That's why a lot of businesses are going cashless now, right? They are right. At, or they're at least asking you to use your debit card. Debit or tap it, yep. Wherever you so can. Good. Although I found it weird. Like I went through McDonald's uh, about a week ago and I, I, I tried to be proactive and not use cash, thinking right. I'll just hold up my debit card and tap the machine. But they handed me the debit machine, mm-hmm. so I ended up... Uh, uh, handling the debit machine. I mean, I guess they probably wiped it down after. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I'm reluctant yeah. to give cash to anybody now. So yeah, Arl- Arlene, congratulations. Do you know Thank what you're going to order? I don't know. I just heard you saying something about Santa Lucia and I'm like, I'm drooling already. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's really good. There's a lot of great options out there for sure. You can't go wrong with Santa Lucia. So enjoy your $50 yes, thank gift you card. for keeping us up to date with everything that's going on. We hear, we listen, we like to listen to you guys. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, Arlene. And thank you for that. I'm going to put you on hold. Jeff Forte is going to get your information off the air. Uh, but yeah, dollar bills, cash. That's, uh, that scares me a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. well, go ahead. Greg. It was, I was just going to say it's a little more reassuring and the place that I want to see germs versus my guess, which was toothbrush. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just, you know, sometimes, because uh, just going off that guess that we had with regard to the ki- kitchen sink, right? And I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? Sometimes the th- places that we think are the cleanest are the dirtiest. So um, toothbrush was my guess. And McNabb, did you have any ideas to what it may have been before? Uh- Oh, I don't want to sound like I'm some sort of genius, but I did think money only because I've been thinking about that a lot, about how you don't, especially in this climate where so many things are being delivered to the house. And I would love to be able to tip people like uh, your mailman and your delivery guy for your groceries. And all these people are doing such great work and I can't like, I can't give them anything. I don't, you can't even give them like a cookie. Like who wants to take a cookie from the house, right? Like I just, you can't touch cash. You're just trying so hard to be clean and germ free. And it was gross before. And now you're additionally, it'll change the way people think about cash for a long time to come, I think. So we'll have more Skip the Dishes gift cards to give away throughout the week on the start. And a reminder that I'm in the studio. Mackling and McNabb are at home, which is why we sometimes trip on each other. If I don't cue Greg or cue McNabb or cue them both at the same time, like I just did, then Mm. uh, everyone's talking at the same time. So I'd interrupt anyway. Come on. Well, maybe. I mean, we can bl- we can only blame this home thing so much. <laughs> you know, sometimes I just gotta own up. I'm gonna interrupt. Maybe Greg <laughs> might interrupt. We both we both like to talk, right, Greg? That's right. It's sort of the natural order of things in the first place. So <laughs> it's nice to at least have a built-in excuse once yeah. in a while. Oh yeah, it's because you didn't cue us, Brett. Come on. That's right. Yeah, I want Brett. It's all your fault. It is my fault. <laughs> I fall on the sword. I humbly but fall on the sword before thee. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Start. And Loren, right now we're going to talk about cleaning out our lockers. Yeah, when the province first announced back in March that classes were suspended for three three weeks, I think there might have been some hope then that kids would eventually get back to school this spring. But we now know that timeline has dramatically changed. Classes are suspended indefinitely, and schools aren't just working to get assignments to the kids every day, but their belongings, Greg. No question about it. Shoes, jackets, lunch kits may have all been left behind in March, but now the Winnipeg School Division is inviting students back in for a locker clean-out, although with public health orders to follow. How this goes will be far from typical. Radine Carter is with the Winnipeg School Division and joins us now. Good morning, Radine. Good morning. I was just thinking about what if there were any lunches left in those lockers a month ago? Well, you you know there were lunches left in those (laughs) lockers. We've all been there. and so Science experiments. (laughs) I would agree with that. Uh, This whole idea of having uh, students come and clean out their lockers, I think some people's uh, first reaction is going to be, uh, wait a minute, we haven't declared the school year over. Why are you doing this now? Well, some of the students may have left materials in their lockers that they need, some, you know, like you were saying, shoes, jackets, that kind of thing, but also textbooks, paper, pens that they could be using at home. Uh, It's not anything that they can't take back with them if we do have the good fortune of getting back to school before the end of June. So how's this going to work? Well, it is. It has. To, it's almost like a military operation, to be honest with you. Uh, we we have to keep that six foot distance. We have to make sure that um, 
uh, it's on a schedule so that we don't have any more than 10 people in the area at the time. So what the high schools are doing is uh, scheduling appointments. And I really, really have to stress this for parents that uh, until you get a scheduled appointment, don't just show up at the school because you're, you're, A, you're not going to be let into the school because they're closed to the public. And, um, and B, your kids' stuff from their locker probably isn't ready to be picked up yet. So what we're having... Uh, EAs and other support staff, this is one of those other jobs as assigned, they're uh, going to clean out the lockers, bag the materials or the goods, whatever it is that's in the locker, um, and tag it according to whose locker it is, and then leave it uh, near the front door so that when somebody, the parent or the student, shows up, proves that they are who they are, um, can then pick up those those bags of goods so the students aren't actually going to go in and even touch their lockers or be near their lockers or classrooms. It will be brought out closest to the front or to the door as possible. That's right? That's right. That's the direction that we got from the risk management group at the Manitoba School Boards Association. And so that's what our schools are following. There was, you know, there was a bit of a learning curve over the last week as we were getting students coming in um, one at a time to clean out their own lockers. But now we're going to take that inside the school and just have those bags of locker materials ready for them to pick up. Well, that's probably got a few people nervous uh, thinking about what they might have in their locker and what they <laughs> don't have in their locker. But uh, all joking aside, this sounds to be like the really the only way to do this, right, Radine? Well, that's what the recommendation is from the risk management group, and that's their job is to figure out the best ways of doing these things and also comply with the public health orders. Will the items be disinfected or cleaned before they're handed off to the students? No, what what the plan is from um, from the recommendation is that the staff person who is emptying the locker will have on um, gloves and masks, and they'll just empty it directly into probably a garbage bag. I think that will be the most convenient. Um, uh, put it in there, tie it up, and uh, uh, tag it according to whose locker it is, and then that locker will be disinfected. Radine, you know, when I picked up my kids on their last day that they had before, um, basically when that announcement was first made way back in March, I, I did grab their running shoes and their pencil cases, but I didn't think to get, you know, their French dictionary or their English dictionary or a calculator or some of the other items. And so I'm curious if you've heard from a lot of parents or students over the past few weeks that have said, like, please let us back in, or is this the school initiative to get the items to them because they need them for their learning and, and that you also want to clean out the school as much as possible? Yeah, it's a bit of both. We have had requests from, from parents for those kinds of items specifically, um, textbooks that will have to be returned eventually as well. Um, but but really it is from the school's, uh, school division's perspective, the, the less stuff that's in the school right now that we can move out and disinfect as completely as possible, the better. Some of these schools are pretty big, Radine. I don't know if uh, mm-hmm. everybody realizes how big some of these uh, high schools are, in particular Elmwood High School. And and I apologize if you don't know off the top of your head how many students would be involved there, but uh, maybe just some of the larger high schools so people can understand how long of a process this is going to be. Well, yeah, we're talking for high schools. That's um, generally grade 9 to 12 now. And some of our high schools are um, over 2,000 students, like Sisler, Kelvin. They're they're really large. What happens if Churchill's uh, already gone through this process or started the process last week? So they're they're already a little bit ahead of the curve. But but yeah, it has to get done. <laughs> what happens if uh, an appointment is scheduled and a student or a parent and a student can't make it for that particular appointment? Can they swap it? Oh, I'm sure they're they'll be very flexible. But that's you know that kind of is the um, model for everything that we're doing with this indefinite um, cancellation of classes is just be flexible. If if it doesn't work for you that day, we'll find another day. And um, if you if you can't get to your particular assignment today for some reason, we'll be flexible and know that you're going to work on it probably later in the week. I've been hearing what you're saying about the need from the, the school's perspective, what teachers are looking for and what some maybe even parents or students are asking for. Reading, was there, was there any thought at all just to not bother with any of this and just leave it um, for a month or, or two and not worry about it, given that there are all the concerns about should you go in the school, should you package it, should you disinfect it? Was there any consideration to just say, you know what, this isn't worth it, we're just going to leave this and not touch this uh, for the next few months? 
Uh, no, not really. The um, the likelihood is, you know, I, I'm not going to speak on behalf of Dr. Rusin, but the likelihood is that we're not going to be going back to school. So we would have had to clean out the lockers by the end of June anyway. And it might take that long to get them cleaned out just based on the number of students and having to schedule them. Radine Carter with the Winnipeg School Division joining us live on 680 CJOB. Radine, thank you very much for the time. Thank you. Greg, you uh, mentioned there might be something hiding in the lockers that uh, you wouldn't want someone to see. Did you have stuff in your locker that was not meant for other eyes? Oh, usually it was uh, stuff that didn't belong to me, uh, unsold chocolate bars, that sort of stuff, and definitely, definitely uh, old lunches. I was terrible for that. Like how long would you leave them in there? Well, only a few days, but you know what happened? Your last day was a Friday. Yeah. Back in March, and now it's been in there for a month. Whoa, whoa, oh. whoa, whoa. Just your gym clothes alone. Oh, oh man. Oh. You got to move right. along. People are eating their breakfast right now. <laughs> oh. But right now, we want to start this hour by talking about how speculation persists that the NHL has not yet given up on the idea of completing the 2019-2020 season, Loren. Yeah, and some might consider this sort of a stubborn viewpoint because the league doesn't seem to want to go ahead and say it's going to officially cancel the end of the year and the playoffs. Although it should be noted that the NHL has lost seasons in the past with lockouts, and so that might be one of the reasons why it's reluctant to officially cancel the season. We had further speculation from one of the game's insiders, Pierre Lebrun, saying on his Twitter account yesterday that the following quote from him, a reminder that the NHL is willing to delay the start of next season until November in order to finish off this season, if possible, with summer hockey. The NHL believes they can play a full season next year, starting in November, cancel our start all-star game and players by week play late playoffs into late June 2021. So, Greg, that's one of the things that's been going around. And then, of course, there are other rumors that include they're looking for neutral sites to host games. At the end of the season, Grand Forks, North Dakota, Saskatoon reported to be on the list of cities considered. Yeah, and if you look through the list of Stanley Cup champions, um, well, you may wonder why there are two seasons where the Cup wasn't presented. In 2005, and 1919 those are the two blank spaces on that list in the 2004 2005 season it was a victim of a player lockout and 1919 was something entirely different on april 5th 1919 montreal canadians defenseman joe hall born in brandon manitoba by the way died during the stanley cup final versus seattle the series was never completed because of the spanish flu pandemic Eric Zweig is an author and hockey historian, and he joins us now. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Thank you for uh, doing this with us. We appreciate it. Now, many people know about the cancellation of the Stanley Cup final in 1919. They may even know about the connection to the Spanish flu outbreak. The fact that Joe Hall passed away in the midst of the final series may be a surprise to some. Just how devastating was the Spanish flu for hockey overall? Well, it's interesting that the Spanish flu was, was was horrible, right? I mean, much worse than what we're seeing now. And I don't mean to make light of anything that's going on now, but the numbers of people who got sick and who died in 1918 and 1919, it's staggering compared to what we're seeing now. I mean, partly that's just, you know, the different world. The things moved slower. There was less medical treatment available, partly because the war was on and many doctors were serving in the military. Um, but the, the thing is, it's, it's odd about hockey in that it, it only impacted hockey right at the very end. It wasn't like now where, you know, the season was shut down and what are we going to do? And there was all this speculation. The flu really in 1918 was at its worst in the, in the fall, say September, October, November. In those days, the hockey season didn't start till late in in December, there were fewer teams, there were fewer games on the schedule, there was a heck of a lot less money involved. So by the time the worst of the flu seemed to be over before the season started, but, and this is the thing that worries me, I mean, I have no medical insight into this, but by the time March rolled around and that Stanley Cup series was on, people more or less thought the flu was over. It was safe to be in rinks, nobody was worried about deaths and dying, and then all these players suddenly got sick. And Joe Hall, of course, dies. 
Uh, if they bring this back this summer, who's to say this won't happen again? As I say, I have no real insight into this, but you have to be careful when you declare a pandemic over because you know it's not like it's not like it's a scheduled season. It it comes and goes as it pleases. Now the NHL played straight through the Second World War. Is it a large part of our coping mechanism during stressful times? Well, that's what they said during both the First World War and the Second World War about baseball and hockey and other sports, that it was good for morale on the home front. And, and, you know, many players in both wars, in all the sports, you know, left their teams and enlisted in the Army, which is something you're not going to see today. Um, but, yeah, it was always said to be a coping me- mechanism and, and good for morale. But it's, it's such a different circumstance. I mean, yeah, sure, it would be great to be watching sports on TV now and take our, our minds off things, but you'd be literally putting these people at risk in a way that, you know, hockey players playing in North America while there's a war in Europe, you know, might seem callous to people who aren't sports fans. But, you know, there was no risk to the people here doing it. You talk about it being a morale boost, or at least that was the messaging back in the First and Second World War, War World Wars. There's also the idea of hope. It kind of keeps some hope alive, which might be why the NHL is reluctant to say the season's over, because people like to have something to look forward to understanding that you don't have any inside information on this. What are your thoughts about keeping the season and and not just saying, look, we're done. We'll move on to the fall of 2020. Do you think they should pull the plug? Well, I, I think, you know, when I, I have no vested interest in it and it's not, you know, all my money that will be lost. I think they should pull the plug, but I, I also understand that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any reason to announce it's over until you know, it has to be. And yeah, maybe it gives people a bit of hope, but you know, I, I think I, I think playing hockey in July and August just because and delaying the next season. I mean, I, I get that there's a lot of money involved, but I, I don't see the point. I mean, <laughs> other than them let hockey fans go, yay, the NHL is back. But if they go, we're going to be back in September and October like normal. How's that worse than we'll be back in July and, and Mickey Mouse the end of the season? But as I say, they have so much. There's so much money involved now in a way that there was not in 1919. That uh, it's in there. I, I mean, honestly, I, I'm sure they, they. They. It's nice that it, it keeps people's hopes up, but I'm sure they're doing it for for the money reasons. And and I also think that they will not make a decision just for money if it's unsafe that they won't come back. But I'm sure that's their biggest reason. More so than to, to keep us all happy. Yeah, Eric, the uh, the game has changed so much, not only in how it's played, uh, how fast it is, how good goaltendings become, but, but also this idea that we are often playing hockey until the middle of June. Do, do you think that's a mistake? Is the hockey season too long <laughs> to begin with? Because I think we're seeing some of these uh, prospective schedules with regard to next year and, and suggesting maybe a, a shorter season to accommodate the idea of starting in November and, and playing hockey through uh, the end of June or maybe into July of 2021. Uh, has hockey uh, uh, made their season too long in the first place? Well, I mean, you know, in a sense, I think you could argue all sports have, right? I mean, once upon a time, and in 1919 particularly, sports were, sports were seasonal. You know, we played hockey when it was cold and you could freeze water into ice, basically. Uh, baseball always had a long season. Football had short seasons in the fall. I mean, sports, it used to be like an athlete in the old days, you know, when Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders and guys like that play, play multiple sports, and it's the biggest news in the world. But in the early days, most of these guys played multiple sports. You know, you played the sport that it was the season for. Um, now, I'm not saying we should go back to, you know, hockey should only be played from December to March. But the thing is, like, I think, you know, in Canada, we're all kind of hockey crazy, and we watch late into june sometimes i'm watching playoff hockey in june and thinking it's so nice out why am i inside doing this but i'm inside doing this anyway but i think generally speaking especially in american cities um if your team is in the stanley cup final and you follow them all the way through to june you follow it and you enjoy it but i think the numbers drop off significantly uh as the as the season gets into summertime it just doesn't feel like hockey I mean, even as I said, even I feel like that sometimes when I'm watching. But it's so nice out. Why am I inside watching hockey? Um, but again, you know, they're, 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 they're never going to go back, even if we all thought it was a good idea because of the money involved.
Do you think maybe there's a reluctance too to cancel the season because I mean we have no idea how long this could go, right? Like, let's just say, for example, if they were to to stretch out these measures through the year, uh, and there's a, making it so that it's, there's no hockey for the rest of 2020, then they can per- potentially resume the 2019-2020 season in early 2021. Yeah, though, again, like that's, I wonder at that point why, you know, like how long does it have to go before they go, all right, we have to declare this season over and we'll start the next one whenever we can. I'm sure that is part of it, that they don't really know yet if they'll be able to start in the fall anyway. Um, so why bother making plans? I mean, there's so much that's unknown. Um, like the, I, I was just reading in the paper the other day that the NFL still seemed gung-ho on starting up in September. Um, and again, you know, September is, is six months off. Who knows? Maybe it'll be safe and sound and, and no problem. But I, I can also see why they wouldn't make an announcement right now saying, well, we're delaying the start. Nobody really knows. That's the thing. You know, it's like all the news channels, all the, the talk news. It's, there's so much speculation, but nobody really knows. We don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know how, how long it's going to stay bad, if it's going to get worse, if it's going to get better. So, you know, really, it's impossible to make these plans. Um, but there is a 24-hour news cycle, so people keep talking. <laughs> Eric Zweig is an author and hockey historian, joining us live on 680 CJOB. And uh, if you want more information, just shoot us an email. We can send you a link on where you can find more of his writing. Just brett at cjob.com is my email, mackling at cjob.com or mcnab at cjob.com. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been fascinating. Well, thanks very much for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.